the Self-Published Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. And my brother. Hi. I am Josh. (laughs) All right. Okay. So any updates from either of you for this week? Um, I guess that's a no. A very long silence that'll probably get cut out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just work. Nothing exciting. Nothing exciting. (laughs) No, nothing from you. I did have a child tickle my butt today. (laughs) yes that would be our (laughs) two-year-old yeah just just uh that's the word i'm looking for sell it you know just sell it you know just like just Just giggle but then he'll do it more yeah but it's funny (laughs) he just josh was standing next to me i was at the counter grating cheese and our two-year-old nolan and my our (laughs) two-year-old went running up behind josh and tickled his butt (laughs) he was was like looking for this big reaction and josh is like i don't know how to respond to that he like came around to my right and looked up at me and waited for me to go and then he (laughs) ran off laughing (laughs) and then tickled daddy and daddy gave him the reaction he wanted yes toddlers are fun i know how to play the game Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> All right. Okay. So book business, I'm a little over halfway right through writing, dictating Crimson Hollow, and it's going really, really well. I did have to stop for a little bit, though, because my sister-in-law broke her foot and had... In three places. And had to have, yes, major reconstructive surgery, and she has four kids. And so we, my mom and I have been splitting our time, um, basically being moms to her kids and mine. So I had to take a break from writing, but hopefully tomorrow I'll be able to do both. Anyway, quote. Where's our quote? Um, Nolan has the quote. It's over here. Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. This is obviously wrong. (laughs) This is obviously wrong. People remember nudity (laughs) quite a bit. I mean, mean, people remember nudity. (laughs) Just think about any celebrity sex tape that you can imagine, and Mark Twain was so wrong about... I mean, did that actually have a lasting impact on society, though? It didn't say lasting, it just has little or no influence on society. A little, okay, it has an influence for sure. So, take that, Mark Twain. He didn't live in the the era of the internet. (laughs) Or or anything like unto it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Now, why is that motivational to authors? No, well, okay, so here's the thing. Have you ever been to a conference with authors there? They dress horribly. Um, author, yeah. My, I have a stylist who, who tells me what I should and should not wear to events. And because you want to put off the persona of being professional and being successful. And so she's like, this will make you look unprofessional. You know, my opinion is if you show up to a writer's conference, just like that weirdo from high school, no one's going to want to read your books. Well, I mean, well, there are some authors who you have mentioned, Josh, the dress up, show up looking like that. That's true. But that's <laughs> because I didn't know what he looked like first. <laughs> You're not doing yourself any favors for sure. Um, people will take you more seriously if you look like you're serious. Yeah, like David West. David West, um, anybody knows him, he wears jeans and a jacket, like a business suit jacket everywhere sports he goes. Coat. So, yeah, sports mm-hmm. coat. So he looks, I mean, it's like casual. Yeah, you, you, don't need to, you don't need to like wear a suit and tie or a fancy dress because that's too much. Yeah. But whatever you're wearing, like 
have it be nice. Dress it up a little bit. Don't yeah. wear don't wear pajamas, like clothes. And maybe I don't know, take a shower the day before. At least you shampoo. Can you see, can you tell we've met a lot of authors? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> just don't wear a fedora. Oh. You just ruined the archetype. The archetype. <laughs> That's okay. funny. In all seriousness, uh do shower. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's I think that's a good life tip for anyone. If you be be a normal person. It's like content for a sitcom. This is our real life, dude. This is this is raw, okay? Oh gosh. Oh man. Anyway, we totally just went off on a really bad tangent that, uh, that Josh is probably going to edit out. <laughs> I'm just and, and mercy, and I pray for your souls if he does not edit it out. I'm sitting here thinking, how can I keep this in so it's entertaining, but remove some of the really weird stuff? The weird stuff is the entertaining stuff. Man. That's the problem. <laughs> it's also okay not to talk about your own book. Yeah, that's true. Yes. It's anyway. okay to talk about your book, but also talk about other people. Yeah, you know you're excited. It, it's awesome that you're excited about your book, and you absolutely should be because if you're not excited, no one else will be. But um, uh, be multi-dimensional. All right. So the the tip for now uh, for today is on beta readers. Today's tip, and then next week's tip is going to be on beta readers. So today's tip is working with them a little bit more and keeping them organized. And the next tip is going to be about finding beta readers. So basically, how you find them. Nolan's got a slight smirk on his face. I'm still thinking about the classes. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're leaving out a lot of stuff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here's here's the tip. All right, so when you're working with beta readers, you want to give them deadlines. And I think I've mentioned this before. You need to give even, even professionals, not just volunteers, deadlines. Because a professional, everybody needs to know what you expect of them. And the deadline I recommend, depending on the length of your book. So if your book is like 90,000 words, one to two weeks and no more than two weeks, because most readers, most readers won't remember the book from start to the finish. Uh, or by the time they give you the feedback, you've already fixed the problems. And so I've had readers complain that I don't give them enough time, but it doesn't happen very often. It's about one every hundred that complains. And I explained to them my reasons and they say, well, I'm just, I'm too busy to help then, which is legitimate, you know? So that's when I tell them they can join my street team and they can, my ARC team. And then, you know, if they read a book after it's published, they can still give me a list of typos they find on the published book. And at that point, it doesn't matter if it takes them forever. And let's see, organize your betas using a Google Doc form. And I have them go in and fill out their own information, or you can do it for them or whatever. So their name, their email address whether they've beta read for you in the past and which group of beta readers they want to be in. So if you use the first, second, and third groups, you know, where the first group is, they catch the big stuff. And the third group is they catch tiny things. And then the second group is everything in between. So that's just, then that way they know where they are and you know where they are. And then also avoid being negative and pushy or bitter. If they don't finish the book or upset, if they say no, or if they dislike something about your story, it's just like reading or just like reviews. Don't argue with them don't, you know, don't engage. And a lot of the time, if somebody hates a book, they're looking to make you engage and you don't, you don't want to do that. And I don't even chat with my readers, my beta readers, or even my street team members sometimes about their feedback. 
because once you do it sets a precedent that you will always have to discuss it with them and that eventually becomes a huge um time deposit on your part that you don't necessarily and shouldn't be doing and so what i do is when they give me my th their feedback including my rcast team members i thank them for the feedback and i say I'm, i'll start digging into it in the next couple of days and if i have questions i'll get back to them and that's that alleviates things so even if i read their feedback right then I don't need to respond and they don't know that I've read it. So they're not waiting for me to give a response. And I think that's it for this episode. We're going to go ahead and dig into the movie now. What movie are we doing, guys? Jurassic Park 3. Yay. We just call it J3 right here. Well, it's I called... call it JP3. Oh, I call it Jur3. So. <laughs> well, we all have our own way of not saying Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so I say we just we dig right into it without giving an overview or anything like that. Let's start with characters and character development. Nolan. Uh, Grant is back. Alan. He is the, yes, Alan, Alan Grant. He is the only character from the original movie. Ellie. Uh, that is mostly in the movie. She okay. has some, like, little scenes here. She and has there. a cameo. She has an important part at the end. Yeah. Um, so she's, like, a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. But... So that's true. Ellie is in it, but not like all up in it. Yeah, so we've got Alan and Ellie. I didn't really write down anything about the characters just because, you know. Um, he's studying raptor speech now. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's he's got an assistant. Who, Billy, who is um, in the movie. Mm -hmm. Who's an idiot. Who's an, a young idiot. Like and then we've the also got the, the husband and wife, the Kirbys. The Kirbys, yes. And at one point in the movie, they completely switch intelligence. <laughs> yes, it's true. And the uh, the and then the child Eric, their son, because there has to be a kid in every Jurassic Park movie. He's basically Alan, but little. Yeah, that's true. He makes about the same intelligent decisions as Alan does. Yeah, it's like super competent, like expert, and then like, super for eight weeks, super competent kid who would they would be looking searching for parts of him in the droppings, but, but it's okay. Unfortunately, as the movie progresses, he becomes less competent. Grant does? Yeah, Eric, the oh. kid. But Give examples, because I didn't actually notice that. So I guess, well, uh, I mean, everyone except Alan at some point or another yells another character's name when they're missing. Yes. Every single one of them, even though some of them were getting after the others earlier in the movie yep. for doing it. That, that really bothered me at the end when they were starting to do that. And Eric does do that by the end. Yeah. Yeah, so basically what, what the whole premise of the show is, this kid goes with his... Um, stepdad or his mom's boyfriend to tour through hang gliding the island to look for dinosaurs and the boat that's pulling their hang glider thing crashes and their driver gets eaten by dinosaurs somehow and he their parachute lands on the island and the guy he's with dies and Eric is stranded on the island for eight weeks well the Kirby's husband and wife go up to Alan and they hire him to take them on a visual just an airplane tour up above and they, they convince him, yeah, anyway, to, like, basically to, to get along, him. but they, they land on the island because they're actually trying to find the kid, and so they lied to him to get him to Yes, go. and I actually really liked that. And hilarity ensues. Yes. <laughs> In the form of dead bodies and blood and... Well, everyone's got their own sense of humor. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Said with a straight face. <laughs> so... One thing that I did like about this movie and the characters is that many of them have a skill 
that's like their thing like that they mention so like that's the true. dad mentions that he lost 25 pounds swimming and then there's a scene where he swims yes that's a really matters point. in the in the thing yeah and then um billy makes um a raptor echo like sound chamber yeah and then they use that later yeah um, which by the way that was actually a dog's sound chamber not a raptor's interesting yeah is that trivia yes Okay, I was going to say, uh, Grant, yeah. did you recognize the bone structure? I sure did. <laughs> I am a speech pathologist, you know, like, studying human anatomy. Yeah. I know all the animals because of that. Of course. <laughs> Just like Grant. I mean, like, they have, like, one thing they know about, and then all of a sudden they know everything about all the things. True story. <laughs> anyway, other uh, examples? Grant um, has his super dinosaur knowledge and uses it. Um, the mercenaries just die at the beginning. That's true. Not real characters. Um, <laughs> that actually kind of bugs me when they make obvious red shirts and then they kill them. Like really? Every, a lot of movies yeah. do that. Like, I don't a, mind if a few red shirts die, but... Um, it's okay to have some survive. It is, it's true, actually. They always make the equipment people die. Like, in the second movie, like, equipment guy dies. In this movie, the equipment guy dies. He's, like, not a real person. I guess if yeah. you're the guy who knows how stuff works. Yes. You have to die so that everyone the else... The cell phone. You're talking about foreshadowing things. We've got Kirby looking for a cell phone. He's like, hey, we're, they're on the boat, you know, and he's like looking for a cell phone. He hears it ringing. He's like, oh, and then I'm like, hey, we that that cell phone ring comes up several times. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, overall, this isn't a good movie. <laughs> it's better than the second one. No, we did opinion. like it better than the second one. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, Josh disagrees with that. Josh likes it worse. Just, I'm just laughing because at the end of, of the movie, you guys were like, that's not bad. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? That was awful. Like, well, you should have seen my, the second one. My expectations were lowered by the second movie. Yeah. Um, this one had a better storyline. It had, people had motivations. They hung together. They had motivations. They had yeah, skills. They were different people. They had and different... the deception. I love the deception. How, how the Kirby's, they're not even married really anymore, you know? And they pr- presented themselves as a loving couple that wanted alan grant to show them the island and you know there's all sorts of deception with them yeah um anyway any anything else on uh i was wondering did alan have character growth more than ian in the second movie um i felt like alan didn't have any growth he didn't have any growth in this at all yeah i wrote that question at the beginning i just wanted to discuss this is the biggest problem with this movie is that the growth in the characters are a divorced couple that get back together again, which is super cliche. Um, <laughs> like there's a struggle, you know, a couple struggles. It's a there. trope. It's not it's necessarily a, cliche. It can be both. It's true. Um, it's overused and unsatisfying. It's like National context. Treasure. Too. Yeah. Well, it's 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 less foundational because there wasn't a relationship that was really shown beforehand that they destroyed and put back together again. Yeah, it's just you had to trust that they hated each other before. Well, but they they never do. They they give good examples though. I mean, it's their relationship is beyond the "I'm hurt by you" stage. Their relationship is like they're like they just give little jibes at each other, you know. And and then what shows that they've not seen each other in a long time or haven't paid attention to each other in a long time is when he's like, she's like, "What have you up to?" And he's like, "I took up swimming." And I've lost a lot of weight. She's like, well, you look good, you know? It just shows that they've not been together for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I actually I actually appreciated that. Okay. <laughs> You're like, okay. No, I don't disagree, I guess. I mean, it wasn't that that big of a... I don't... Well, I don't... I'm not suggesting that they should have made a heavy-handed Haiti divorce. Yeah, yeah. That's not... 
you know. Okay, yeah. I felt like the the their romance wasn't really there. It there. wasn't. It wasn't yeah. really there. No, I agree with that. I didn't even write a note down. That's what I'm saying. Like the, the only people that have the an arc are them, sort of, where they decide kind of to be That's a family true. again at the end. But it's very uh ham ham. It's not progress. It doesn't really progress see, through the movie. See, it's just like is, they're not together and then they're together. This is something that sci-fi writers, thriller writers, movie people. It's a mistake they make all the time. They they feel like their characters don't need as much growth because so much is happening with the plot. And that's a huge, that's, that's a fault. That's a, what's the word? That's, um, it's a fallacy. That, no, it's a lie. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what the word is. Basically it's a crutch that they, they're expecting the action of their plots to carry the reader. And like, think about Jurassic Park one, like characters actually had arcs, you know, they had growth. They, they learned and they became something better and bet and new, you know? And it makes a story better when you have action plus character growth. Right. And so these throwaway characters that are not in any previous movies or in any later movies have an arc, even if it's unsatisfying. But the one guy that we know from a previous movie has none. Yeah, yeah that's a big problem. Yeah. I, uh, I did, although they do, um, Grant does show that he still likes kids. Oh, that's he, right. Okay. Which he yeah. did end up doing at the end of the first movie. So they, yeah. they pick that right up. He's like, I still like kids. They have a scene with him and Ellie's kid. You know, where he's, like, playing with it, you know. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Because it's, it's like, it, they pick up right where he left off, but then he doesn't really end up anywhere else. He didn't learn anything new from the island. Yeah. I, I do think, though, that Billy did grow as a character. That's I mean, true. in the beginning, he was pretty, like, obsessed naive. with Alan, kind of naive, very, very sort of childish. And then by the end, he was pretty independent. When he saves Eric, he does a bunch of stuff by himself, and he doesn't always look to Grant for approval for everything that he does. Well, the trivia people were speculating that there was something that was going on with his character that they didn't ever give us because he knew the Kirby's. Um when when he sees them for the first time, he acts like he doesn't know them, but they're but they make little side comments to each other where it shows that they possibly have known each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And like other little things like where he kind of acted like he was going behind Grant's back. But it's like they had a subplot, but they tore out enough of it where you don't follow the threads anymore. Interesting. So, yeah, I forgot about Billy. Billy does have a bit of an arc, too. But, again, he's not, like, Grant, you know? Yeah. Grant is the main character, and we have a tie to him from the previous yeah. movie. And then, yeah, and we don't care about him by the end because he's nothing. It's just there. And, you know, yeah. Eric has a huge arc, but you don't see any of it. From when you first meet him, he doesn't know anything about dinosaurs, and when you see him next, he knows everything. Well, he does. And it's he like none of it's on screen, and, you know? Yeah, well, he has read Grant's book, and, I mean, he did have an interest in dinosaurs. But, yeah, learning to survive on the island by himself is a huge arc. Yes. His trials. Yep. And you don't really get that at all. Yeah. They could have woven like maybe a couple scenes of him surviving, like getting the uh, T-Rex pee. Yeah, I'm going to comment on that. Um, like so that. the opening scene, we're going to move on. The opening scene, I wrote the word meh. Yeah, uh, meh. I wrote heavy handed. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good. It was, it was so boring. And... I just wrote bad green screen. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I'm in the parachute. Not even just that. I mean, even going back further, just the title. Where the towel comes up and it goes slash for three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, that was horrible. And um, Jurassic Park 3 is not a very, you know. But that's but that's encapsulates the tone of the movie relative to the first one. Yeah. Where Jurassic- the first one, they set the stage, you know, and they escalate. And then the, the raptor bites the person. You never see the raptor. You know, there's that hidden danger. Yeah. They kind of, in this, they're like, 
boom, Jurassic Park, Larry Slash, slash three. And then they kind of try to, then they go the back and try to be subtle about it. And then they go back and like, you don't see a dinosaur in the opening scene at all. You know, but, yeah. but then they smack you in the face with it. And apparently him. Michael Crichton worked on the script for several days and then left when he couldn't come up with something that satisfied him. Because he just couldn't come. I mean, he was like writing and brainstorming and working with people and he's like, eh. Yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, there's a point where your characters weren't meant to go beyond a certain point. Yeah. And then it's over. And he's like, I wrote, he wrote Jurassic Park and it's amazing. Yeah. There wasn't supposed to be a two or three like that. Well, was it. yeah, if your characters go from point A to point Z, you know, series is good because you can have a character go from point A to point C or point B or point D. And there's still plenty of growth for them to have happen later, you know, but his books, he doesn't do sequels. His characters go from the beginning to the end. Their, their whole growth happens in the one you know mm -hmm. and so so that's why it always feels forced is because there wasn't ever a bigger plan that was woven into it from the beginning yeah it makes sense yeah okay so then the foreshadowing um let's see no force on earth or heaven could get me on that island very heavy-handed foreshadowing very 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 because we totally know he's going to the island yes you know, or else there's no Jurassic Park movie um <laughs> let's see <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if they just had the movie end? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just him. over him living the rest of his life, going to like faculty <laughs> meetings or something like that. And like, <laughs> Dig sites. Oh man, he's he's got to teach a class or you know to, to keep ten. Just have like a forty minute lecture and then end the the movie. <laughs> uh, let's see. So. Um, foreshadowing, let's see, swimming has lost 25 pounds and he swims and it's believable. He saved himself by swimming. So yep. the very creepy, believable. the, what are they called? Pterodactyls flying in the background and they don't actually show up for another like 10 minutes. Hmm. Yeah. Then we, that's in the same key. They're inside of an old building and a velociraptor runs across the screen or behind the curtain. You can see its shadow and then you don't see the velociraptors for probably two or three minutes. So I like those kinds of things. And then. Let's see. Uh, there's a point where when they're in the pterodactyl cage area and she's like, I'm going to leave you. And he's like, Mom, I've been living here for eight weeks. Fine. And so that tells you right there that something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Any comments on the antagonist protagonist? Uh, I mean, the Grant's uh, adversarial with everyone. Yeah. Uh, literally everyone. Well, he's Ian out, Malcolm in this movie. You know, he's the one trying to get everybody safe off the island. Yeah. So um, he's just got the same role that Jeff Goldblum played in the second movie. True. I feel like the dinosaurs really changed their behavior from the first movie to this one. Like the raptors especially. They're still intelligent in this one, but they're also way more humane and stupid in certain ways. Where they fall pretty easy to, you know certain things that they do um the really the only thing that i that i really remember is they're pretty humane i should <laughs> say after they use this half dead guy as a trap after it doesn't work they kill him like break his neck they oh break that's his right neck. they break instant yes. kill instead of you know just, just devouring him, him like they would have in there's the first a, yeah there's a lot of neck breaking in this movie <laughs> it's just, the uh, spinosaurus breaks the t-rex's neck and yeah. then uh, feels shortly thereafter maybe it was a long time then yeah the, the the last of the mercenary humans next gets broken yeah yeah i'm just like mm, 
that he would have been slowly eaten. Yeah. <laughs> or or even quickly eaten when they, like Josh said, devour, you know? They don't... Yeah, they all would have jumped they, in. They break his yeah. neck and then they ran off to investigate something else, which well, they wouldn't have They do done. kill for sport, so, I mean... But they wouldn't have done it I to mean, they be just merciful. They would have around for a little bit. Or just let him bleed out or something. Really yeah, apparent. they would have been more animal. Yeah. Yeah. They make them look quite a bit different. All the dinosaurs in this look quite a bit different. Yeah, they, yeah, they did. Individual yeah. markings. Yeah, they had. It's much more different than any of the other movies, including the fourth one. Yeah. Yeah. So, like the male Velociraptors have feathers on their heads. Yeah, or little spiny things or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and there everyone has like a modeled, like, dual color scheme that looks like camo. Even though <laughs> that's true, I made a joke about that. Like they can't even see those things. They're all camo. <laughs> so the dialogue it's predictable to me uh grant has some okay dialogue yeah. i mean it's not like Ian malcolm dialogue though no he's not but he's not as witty of a character so he would never have dialogue as good as him if, no he's insightful not witty so somebody says do you remember the sounds they made and he says i try not to and i hadn't seen the movie in forever and i was like i try not to <laughs> Like that's predictable, you know. Yeah. Well, like they're in the plane, so they the plane crashes and they're they're stuck in a tree in the plane, and he's like, "We haven't landed yet." Yeah, that was good. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was, it's yeah. entertaining, but it's also like, and you can totally see it coming. Yeah, it was, but I mean, at least he had something to say that was yeah. relevant. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, nobody else. Everyone else is just I don't know. Even worse than that, I guess. <laughs> the characters were so flat that they didn't have any spark between the, you know, because in the, the first movie, you know, like Hammond and Ellie have a scene and then Ellie and Malcolm and Malcolm and Grant, and you know, like Grant and Ellie. I mean, everybody like has a scene with one of the other characters pretty much. Yeah. That, and they exchange like dialogue and then like have an insight or, you know, something changes you know what i mean it it's good it's purposeful it's interesting these characters just like squabble yeah with each other so would you say that this movie does a better job of having each scene um do two things uh this scene doesn't even most of them don't even do one thing yeah i would agree with that the first movie just intelligently written you know yeah the timing is right and you know like they reveal they have those scenes those dialogues at the right times to make it interesting so that the things that are happening don't feel too related because you don't want to be like they talk about something and then the thing happens like right then because that sometimes you can do that but you don't want to do that too much because it's too on the nose you know so they they did a good enough job of disconnecting it you know Um, so that was relevant but not like right adjacent to each other and in this there's just like nothing Okay, so uh, let's see. I'm going on to number seven, inciting incident, plot structure, threat structure, all that stuff. So to me, the inciting incident is when the Kirby's convince Alan to give them a tour of the island from the plane. Because everything before that is establishing normal. I kind of felt like the inciting incident was as soon as while they're flying. I mean, it's kind of fine. But when he finally realizes, wait, they're kind of kidnapping me and we're going to land. And then they knock him out. I also kind of feel like the whole movie is just kind of Murphy's Law, kind of. Yeah. Explain that. What do you mean? Sort sort of like 
if it can happen, it will happen. Like yeah, bad things just happen to them because it it needs it needs to happen to create tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, not because it's like somebody made a bad decision, even if they're trying to do the right thing, which is more interesting than people doing only selfish things. Although sometimes that's fine too, because maybe my character is believably selfish, like Nedry, where he did a selfish Nedry. thing. But then everybody else tries to do the right thing and things go wrong. But, yeah, not because, actually, but they're not being dumb. They're like, this is the best choice I can make with the information I have at the time. Let's go reset the thing. You know, but they don't know the raptors are there. We know, but they don't. So then he just goes waltz out and there gets killed. So like he wouldn't know that. Talking mm-hmm. about plot versus character, actually, like I think that they did well with um character moving moving a, a character moving plot that involves a lot of action and they did bother control. They did bother to give the characters reasons for being there. So like yeah. getting Alan on the plane, they used a lot they used deception and they bribed with a lot of money and it was all none of the money Don't actually take. existed. And Which they did in the first movie. <laughs> That's true. So, so we know that he's he's constantly needing he's, funding. Exactly. I mean, well, a, he's got a known problem that he has. And he needs yeah. funding. He's a researcher. Researchers are always needing. It's also kind of though a little lazy though to ch- keep choosing the same reason to it motivate is. the main character. Uh, it, it's not as interesting one, but at least it's plausible. It so, plausible. and then another example of plot versus character when they when they hear Cooper off shooting his gun and roar the spinosaurus roaring and they all hop in the plane and they fly off. Cooper chooses to run in front of the plane. He chooses, you know, and so that's like. Them crashing is because of him. So it's that's a character choice, you know? Yeah. Then let's see, Billy stealing the eggs from the raptor nest, you know? Mm-hmm. That's also a conflict that comes from a choice the character makes. I don't I don't under, quite understand his motivation for taking them. He talks about money later, but um, Yeah, it doesn't ever, they they didn't, ever they flesh didn't it out. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, why does he need money or does because he should have mentioned it early in the movie where he's like we could really use the money i don't know it kind of does he did, but i don't feel like it was having that it kind of does though make sense because he's already projected as such a kind of immature and, and experienceless character that yeah. that might be something a rash person would do in that scenario but they didn't show any of his rashness i mean how them. many of you guys wanted to find a dinosaur egg and take it home i did when i was a kid yeah but you were probably a lot more adventurous than billy was like they kind of put him up as a kind of sissy kid that follows her teacher around <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about he's a ladies man he was <laughs> yeah and that scene it was pointless absolutely pointless. it was because i'm talking the chick it was so pointless i forgot it happened it was because <laughs> you like you're like maybe this is like a, a a quality of his character but there's no other point at where he can demonstrate that he's like um, Schnazzy. Mackin' on the honeys. Or whatever <laughs> the kids are saying these days. Because, <laughs> uh, like, they go to some nowhere bar in, like, Montana, and then they go to the island, and then that's it. So yeah, exactly. Like, what was the point of him doing that? Yep. They should have had some other thing where he's, like, where he finds, like, a broken raptor egg, and he's like, man, it would be great to find, like, a full, complete one. Cause you mean if they foreshadowed it? Yeah, and then that would have made way more sense when he finds the eggs that it's, like, a big deal to him, and he would take them. So another thing that I actually liked was they, the Kirby's hired him to take them on a tour of an island he'd never been to. Which they didn't know. Yeah. Just shows that they were not make, doing, making rash decisions. He's like, I've never been to this island. <laughs> I yeah. actually really like that. Yeah, and there's dinosaurs that he's never seen before that he wasn't aware of. Yeah, the spinosaurs. spinograph. The spinograph. The spinograph. The spinosaurus. Because uh, they had a lit, so he's he experienced most of the dinosaurs on the main island, and then he said that it was on those ones that they saw weren't on the list that InGen had yep. released either. Yep. 
So um, about halfway through the movie, I made a comment on the pacing. I said it's mostly good. The only boring part was the assistant with the chick. <laughs> I feel like the pacing, um, I, I mean, thought it was, it was fine. Un- it was okay, but it was uneven. It, it, my, my biggest problem with the pacing is they introduced a lot of, or resolved a lot of the tension with, I don't know how to pronounce it, the dos ex machina. Deus ex machina. Deus ex machina. Yeah, where, like, for example, when they're in the plane and they all run to the back and they fall like 40 feet and yes. they all come out fine. Yeah. And then, you know, the T Rex is rolling them, or was it the Spinosaurus at, this at that point? point yeah. yeah. they rolling them and they all come out, you know, with like a scrape on their cheek and they're fine. Like, other than that, like, that's in like divine intervention. They didn't get hurt. Or like when she falls out of the tree and the velociraptors jump up and she's fine. Wh- yeah. Yeah. She's fine. There's a lot of that in the movie where it wasn't necessarily their skill that saved them or anything about their character. Yeah. They just happened to get lucky. And, you know, thinking about the first movie, none of the characters in this movie got mortally wounded or gravely wounded. I mean, Ian Malcolm got his leg trashed, you know? And yeah. so that makes things more... It, it, it increases the conflict and the tension to have a character that you're trying to take care of who's injured, you know? Well, they go through a lot of dangerous stuff and nobody has more than a scratch. Exactly. I mean, some people get mauled, but those guys get killed early and they know they're going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're not invested. So let's see. I um, one thing Oh, the I, stupid dream sequence. We... Oh, we're, we're not going <laughs> to... No, we're not going to talk about that. That is one of my takeaways. Okay. <laughs> Dang it. I wanna... uh, there, is a, there, is some good, there is a good shot in the airplane where the Spinosaurus grabs the poor black guy. I'm saying black guy. He doesn't die first, which is a cliche second. thing in a movie. He dies second. So but he still dies really fast. We're making progress. Um, <laughs> but um, a, a dot of his blood lands on her cheek um, as he's getting dragged out. Uh-huh. I just thought it was a nice, like, nice shot. Nice little touch. Because she's like freaking out and like trying to help him and he's getting dragged out and like... Splats on her a bit. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know, just a nice touch where it's just a little thing, but it's had a lot of impact, I think, visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And a little foreshadowing, even though the foreshadowing is like... Two and a half seconds. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, so one of the scenes that I really liked was when they finally get Eric and they're all running, Mom, Dad, Eric, Mom, Dad, Eric, and they're like running for each other and they don't show us, but there's a huge fence in between. Like, I really like that. They're running at each other like and then the too. fence. Mm-hmm. You liked that, Josh? That you I said did like that, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was cool. I was like... Followed immediately by the Spinosaurus attacking them. But didn't they also do the fence thing in the second movie? Or is that the which other? They movie? had a fence in the first movie. The first movie, they, they climb it, but they, they climb it, yeah. but there was no deception. It was like a deceiving. It was I like it when the narrator deceives the reader, the audience, you know. And we didn't see the fence until they were right at it. So yeah. implausibility thing. Uh, Spinosaurus gets a running start, smashes through the wall. Yes. Okay. Then they run into a building, and then the building is invincible and doesn't even try to break in. Oh, okay, <laughs> my comment also, defeated is when they're running away towards the fence, and then they turn right down the fence. The spinosaurus runs straight to the fence and then turns right. Yeah, instead of running at them. Yes, yeah. like it could see them where they're going the whole time, and it yeah. decides to run to the fence first. Yep. Okay, so others example. I'm talking about the implausibility. So yeah, breaking through the big fence, but unable to break through the building. And my comment is both have had the same amount of rot and the same amount of weather. So they would, I mean, the building would break before the fence. The building doesn't look like a bunker. The wall has like spikes and crap all over it. Yeah, and it's a huge cement base that I bet you anything goes down like 10, 15 feet into the ground. Yeah, I mean, they look like the same. And like, for some reason, that Spinosaurus falls them all over the island and then like ignores them. 
Uh, here's another thing. This is also a research thing. It's not just implausibility, but there's a body hanging from a parachute and he didn't get eaten. He's eight weeks de um what's the word rotted decomposed. And okay, so here's the thing, and there's a lot left on him in the jungle with that much humidity, with bugs, flies, maggots, not to mention dinosaurs. He would have been destroyed completely because their dinosaurs actually ate bones and ate marrow out of bones. So there's no way he would have had if anything left because when we find him the guy was singing from the parachute he's still kind of juicy he's still juicy and it's been eight <laughs> weeks yeah and like so, research of decomp the decomposition stages of a body but it doesn't make sort of something a jump scare yeah, yeah. Jump scare. it wouldn't even stuck to, it would have fallen out of the parachute there, there's also a lot of research that bugged me that they really missed out on like boats are designed for when there's no driver to go in circles oh yes explain that goes, whole scene so so the very beginning and they go through this like fog thing and then the driver gets wrecked by some invisible dinosaurs and as at, when they clear through the fog it's just going straight and it goes straight for like 150 yards till it hits a rock yeah and it's just like it would have been going in circles the whole time yeah it's just kind of silly another thing was the way that the glass in the airplane shattered it's not designed to shatter that way like yeah airplane glass does not break like a windshield no, it would require a, a lot of... I mean, it's more plexiglass than glass. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> like, also, the T-Rex and the Spinosaur, they're pretty territorial creatures, and for some reason, they're hunting in the exact same spot at the same time. Oh, like, yeah. That That's doesn't make true. any sense no. at all. They'd be on opposite sides of the island. Otherwise, they would kill each other years prior. Yeah, they, they mark... I mean, they're like they're animals. They mark their territory, you know? But they have to fight to show that they're the 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 spinosaur. The T Rex had to die to show that the spinosaur is a bigger danger. So I disagree and, with um, that. But that's Jack that's Horner, the guy who is he's um I don't know if anybody knows who he is. He's a dinosaur guy, paleontologist. I actually heard about him before, but he believes that the spinosaur was the ultimate dinosaur. That nothing would have been able to beat a spinosaur because it had longer forearms. It had it was bigger and longer body length. Uh, Indominus Rex. Indominus Rex. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. You don't even know what they cooked up in that lab. They, yeah, they do mention that. They, like Grant makes the point of the saying that these oh. aren't really dinosaurs. That yes, that they're genetically engineered, whatever, and that's why he's still looking at dinosaur bones because those are the real dinosaurs. They all died sixty-four million years ago, and everything that's on that island is something they cooked up in a lab. That does tie into the following movie. Pretty much straight up. Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah. Good it's for you, true. continuity. Unintentional continuity. Unin good for you, unintentional continuity. <laughs> so, um, for being noteworthy, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, yes. I love the intro to the dinosaurs on the island of the plane crash, the spinosaur attack. You know, I actually really quite like that because you hear gunshots, there's a dinosaur going rawr, Cooper runs mm -hmm. the front of the plane, and then the spinosaur comes up and, you know, I actually... I liked that intro. I like big. That's not bad. Explodey things. Let's see. It's very definitely Murphy's Law, though. Yes. <laughs> okay, another thing that I thought was neat, noteworthy, when they first come across that, the, the one T-Rex, uh, it was eating an animal. Don't know if you guys remember that. But it's a nod to current debates about how the T-Rex was. A lot of people actually believe that T-Rexes were scavengers. They weren't actually... Uh, predators because their forearms weren't strong enough to defend attack so they would go for the dead stuff 
But the against that is the fact that the skull was so heavy that it was strong enough to attack. And so there's a lot of debates on both sides, but I kind of thought that was an interesting little nod to that debate because when they come across it, it's eating a dead animal, an animal that's been dead for a while. And then, of course, the Spinosaurus killing the T-Rex. T-Rex has been set up in all these movies as the ultimate dinosaur, even in the fourth one. Anyway. With a little help from his friends. Um, so Eric, the kid, gets kidnapped by the pterodactyl, and I like this. The, the pterodactyl would have destroyed him immediately if it weren't for the... It had babies, and so it drew him. out that that scene a little bit, you know, giving us more com- conflicts and a little bit more realistic, you know, way for him to survive than if you were going up against a pterodactyl. By the way, did you guys know that... Ter- Josh, did you know this? The pterodactyls were as big as d- giraffes. No. They found them no. with wingspans of up to 35 feet. Cool. Isn't that amazing? They did not mean the raptors have feathers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I thought oh, that was yeah. cool. Um, implausibility thing, sorry. Uh, they can always hear the stupid phone that the... Oh my uh, gosh, oh, yes. Yeah, the battery never dies, and it doesn't matter how far and, away from the it they are. And it only rings when they're around. Yep. Yeah. It just so happens. It just so happens that it causes them to also find each other. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that invincible phone. Yeah. How do you it pronounce goes that word again? Deus. 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 Deus ex machina. Yes. It yeah, goes through definitely. his elementary canal. <laughs> and it's fine. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't like drop my phone more than three feet. Without it falling Without apart. Without it falling apart. But they did make well, things. It was a brick, well, you know. It was big and yellow. They I made things suppose. more durable back then. But, I mean, the stomach acid. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So it just happens to have enough battery life for one last call. <laughs> Which was Tally. 30 yeah. times one last call. Yeah. So that was dumb. Okay, so um, what was the climax I of the movie? I feel like there as was any because the pacing didn't really change the whole movie. Yeah, me. there was no real build-up. The Spinosaur in the water or the Velociraptors in the eggs, which was a very boring climax if that was the climax. Right. Yeah, there isn't one. Yeah, it was a bit of a letdown to me. Just like Twilight, there's no climax. Oh, jeez, no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the epilogue, the resolution, the pterodactyls flying, you know, I felt like the, the epilogue and resolution came abruptly. We've got these ships that are pulling up on the land we don't see how they discovered which island it was or how they knew where on the island you know because he calls her from his satellite phone and then like the next thing we know the ships are landing and it would have taken how long for them to get there it's like 30 minutes uh, not even 30 like in the movie time it's like 10 minutes later or whatever and there's like gunships in the background like those things take months to go from like the east coast to the caribbean they yes. just hap- so happened to have some. Deus Ex Machina, yeah. Josh. <laughs> also, they sent the Navy and the Marines. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nolan and Josh were both like, what? Mm, that's the Navy. The Marines, they are the Navy. They are a division of the Marines. Yeah. Uh, any other any other comments on the climax or anything? Can I go on? To, no. I'm going to go on to trivia. Is that okay? Go ahead. Okay, so... Okay, so the Spinosaurus head... The, the animatronic head, the tip of its nose, it that head moved so fast that the tip of the mo- nose was moving over 100 miles an hour. So it was actually dangerous. <laughs> and they used 250 gallons of oatmeal for the Spinosaurus poop. <laughs> 250 gallons? Of oatmeal. I don't know what oatmeal was measured in gallons. I guess when well, it's cooked, it is. 
point that you just went. It's a unit of volume you could have done. Let's see. Uh, the Spinosaurus uh, animatronic was the largest animatronic ever built. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And I already talked about Michael Crichton working on the script. Let's see. Yeah. There was no 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 velociraptors. Velociraptors were killed in this one, but a T-Rex was. I'm annoyed about that. I love T-Rex. Let's see. So the original script, they put $18 million into it before Steven Spielberg rejected it. And then they had to write it again. I wonder how bad it was. <laughs> no kidding. If this is what made it. Oh, no. No. I actually really like the idea. So a pteranodon escaped from the from Isla Sorna and caused mysterious de- deaths on a main island. And so the reason he rejected it was it would have been too complicated and too expensive. But I'm like, that would have been so cool. Mysterious deaths, you know, in a yeah. main city. Yeah, that would have been way more interesting. They reject. He rejected it five weeks before they started shooting. <laughs> well, no wonder this sucked. <laughs> Yeah. John Williams was invited to do the music, but he was doing AI instead. (laughs) (laughs) And I already said the Velociraptor's resonating chamber was a dog's. There's really no way to win between those two movie choices. No one cares about AI or Jurassic Park 3. There you go. I I honestly care more for... I like dinosaur movies, though. Well, yeah. Sorry, I'm working on this other movie no one's going to remember in a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last little trivia was my own that I actually did my own research. So, you know, the pterodactyls had wingspans of up to 35 feet and could get as tall as giraffes, which is pretty awesome. Totally plausible to picture them killing a human in that case. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like they were big enough in this to be carrying people around. No. 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 No, We've got this this pterodactyl that's able to go through the cages, you know, that they were climbing through on the cliffs. By the way, that scene was supposed to be in book one. I mean, it was in book one. It was supposed to be in the first movie, but they didn't have time to do it. Um, some of the settings in this are more interesting. I mean, they, they go through the decayed, you know, remains of a facility. They don't. Yeah. They didn't do that in the first one. Well, the first one they didn't need to because yeah, that was brand new. It was new. I'm saying, what did they do? They do it in the fourth one. You know, they the do. original building, which yeah, is interesting. So I mean, some of it was some interesting. You know. The decay and how that worked against them. Yeah. Okay, so let's go into our top t- biggest takeaways for this movie. Josh, you go ahead and go first. Um, well, I know one of mine kind of ties into yours oh. already. Oh. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and talk about okay. it. I'm fine. Okay, so my my first takeaway <laughs> is it, it's completely fine to have accidental comedy in your in your your stuff. Like I don't know if it's okay. You should plan for your comedy well, and not yeah, have people being but, like that's supposed to be serious. But it was funny instead. Well, I guess what I mean by accidental comedy isn't necessarily like it's not it's not going to ruin it if you if you suck at something. Okay. Yes. Like it's not going to be completely destroyed. Like the movie overall was like okay, even though this scene is just so hilariously bad. <sighs> <laughs> Alan, just, I love it so much because it's you have so to dumb. explain what you're talking. So, so they're on the plane, and then Alan falls asleep, like and Indiana Jones like, with the hat yeah, over his head. his face, and then he kind of wakes up, and it's like turbulent and stuff. And he looks over, and there's a velociraptor looking at him, and then it says Alan, and he wakes up. It's just so dumb, <laughs> and it's so funny. Oh gosh, yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to say that it's okay to have stuff like that. I mean. I like the movie a little more because of that scene, because it's just so bad that it's good. But I'm also kind of weird that way. I like So Sharknado, Birdemic. Yeah, I like that sort of thing a little more than I should, I think. But No, it's just the right amount. It's fine. <laughs> it's just the right amount. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, my second takeaway, though, is that although nature and, like, creatures can be the good, like, a really good sort of bad guy or the force of that they're all trying to defeat, it's always really good to have some sort of relatable evil. Like, most people aren't going to be out in the wilderness surviving right, against too. stuff. Yeah. But they will deal with other people betraying them in some way, or they will deal with minor... minor deception. Minor and- deception or whatever. And that, I think it's necessary to have relatable evil as part of your plot i i agree with that i like that yeah and then my third takeaway was um it it was i had i think i've already made this point already i totally forgot that it was one of my takeaways but um having every single one of your red shirts die is really boring if you have (sighs) it's too predictable yeah if you have characters that you don't hear about and you have all of them die no one cares yeah and everyone does it when they're bad. It makes it too safe for the viewers. The viewers need to feel like the the main characters could die. You know? And if you only kill expendable people, then you know the main characters will never die. Yeah. So it's 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 totally fine to have them survive. And it might even help add to us the, the, the movie a little more, where you start rooting for the, the obscure characters. I wonder if the microphone's picking up my wind chime. The sounds of Mars. It definitely is, if we can hear it. Nolan Nolan got me that wind chime for Christmas. It's quite lovely. It's creepy. Anyway, Nolan, what are your takeaways? Um, everyone has a skill that they use, which is good. Yeah. I, I, the skill to Mac was given to Billy, but he does not get to Mac on any honeys. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean... Um, <laughs> So that that is an example of what not to do. <laughs> Wait, was, you wanted more macking? If you're gonna put it in there, put it in there. Okay, I uh, see. Obviously, yeah. he's not gonna use that. So cut yeah, that scene. Yeah, cut that movie. scene. There's was no point in And like I said, I gave them a replacement where he could have found a, a partial raptor's egg, and he's like, I want to get a whole one. Yeah. You know, so I can see the development of their sound cavity or something like that. Yeah. So when he finds the real eggs, he wants to take them. Yeah. That would have been a much better use of that scene, and it would have eliminated his skills yes. that he wasn't using. Air quotes. I'm making air quotes you can't see. <laughs> Takeaway, um, matching tone. Grant did feel like Grant. Yeah, that's true. He did. Um, he didn't get to demonstrate his character as much as I would like, but he didn't have any high-quality characters to bounce off of like he did in the first one. But what he said and what he did felt like stuff that Grant would do. So they managed to maintain um, his character. Yeah. Well enough. Yep. I like. I agree with that. Um, I think that's two. I don't have a third one right now. Okay, that's fine. I'll go into mine. I have those two written down. I couldn't come up with a third one. Quite yet. The soundtrack was forgettable. Yeah, I would agree with that. I totally didn't even notice there was a soundtrack. I noticed just, the Jurassic Park theme a couple goodness. of times. There was moments where it was kind of quirky and distracting. Yeah. But it wasn't so bad that it disrupted the movie. Which is okay. I I guess you're coming off the high of having, um, what's his name, do it? John Williams. Yeah, and they preserved the theme throughout, which is good, right? They they use the... They occasionally drop the theme. So good for you um, for making a soundtrack that maybe wasn't as memorable as John Williams, but didn't get in the way too much. So tie that back to being Mm -hmm. an author, then. I guess that ties into the second point of theme. Because mm-hmm. tone, I mean, music the sets tone, the tone. It so. does, um, and you know, if you're gonna have a Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park movie depart from its theme, then the music would be quite different as well. I imagine. Yeah. 
The stupid but ringtone they... from the phone was the most like memorable music of the whole movie. <laughs> it's true. E- even more memorable than the Jurassic Park theme. <laughs> it was so annoying and incessant. Yes. And impossible. And yawn. <laughs> Complete. Okay. All right. Okay, so my top three biggest takeaways for authors. One, know the rules. And then once you know the rules, it's okay to break them. So for example, the tri-fill cycle. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with flipping it uh, when they are crossing the pterodactyl thing and trying to get across the metal that's corroded and falling apart. You get success, success, and then failure. Oh, that's not one word. Try fill. <laughs> get it now. Try. <laughs> You've talked about this before, and I was just like, I don't know what try this word means. Hyphen, it's like try fail. Yes, okay, the try fail cycle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, so they they. They had a success, and then they had a success, and then they had the failure. And I like that. You don't have to have failure, failure, success. You can have it be the opposite. And I'd say that's pretty characteristic of a horror or thriller, you know, an action movie where success, success. Well, it helps build confidence. They think, okay, this is going to be fine, and it's not fine. Yep, exactly. Okay, so... If if two people fell off the bridge, they would probably stop trying. (laughs) (laughs) I made it one out of three. Monty Python? Yeah, I was going to say that it's very Monty Python-esque. <laughs> All right, so the dream sequence. <laughs> Alan! <laughs> don't, don't do that or do that? Oh my gosh. Okay, dream sequence. They need to push the story forward and reveal something. Dreams set the tone. Dreams that just set the tone or, or are used to throw intention are bad. I'm going to say this right now. If you use dream sequences in your books, they need to be short and they need to have a point. So if there's no reason to have them, don't have one that's longer than two seconds. And in this case, it was only two seconds and it was pointless, you know? Brandon Sanderson really does this really well with his book, Warbreaker, the dreams and how important like that he does not go into crazy amounts of detail with them, yeah. but they're a major plot point for, for one of the characters. Um, I absolutely love the way he did that. It's like, it's, it's very, 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 very vaguely described and very little, but it's, it's such a major part of the plot that it's, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using dreams. If they are, I mean, if they do two things, you know, you want every scene to do two things. It needs to do character building or something else and pushing the story forward. So a book that I'm reading right now, uh, I don't know if I should even say who the author is. And the dream sequence was like four pages long and it was pointless. And when the, so like, okay, so this character's like lost in this forest and she's has this dream that these people that she accidentally murdered are coming back to her. And she's like, no crap. No, no, they're all dying. They're all dying. And then the guy she's in love with comes and she's like, no, and he dies. And then it totally loses impactfulness when he actually comes because I'm like, oh, we just saw that, you know, he just came to her, you know? So I'm like, it's stole away from the actual story. So that's my second point. And then my third point is don't cheat. <laughs> the end. Just kidding. Don't, don't cheat. <laughs> don't cheat. So let's see. What is it? How did you get T-Rex pee? You don't want to know. As Nolan says, convenient, right? Convenient yeah, to the plot. It would have been yeah. interesting to, for him to demonstrate his character by doing something clever. Yeah. Um, Rather than just saying, you don't want to know. Yeah, but I mean, they, they, they didn't want to ruin the fact that he's alive by showing him do something before then. Yeah. Yeah. The reveal is that he's alive. But he so could have given us like a 30 second or 20 second or even 10 second explanation about how he got it, you well, know? What they could have done 
is have him get it later in the movie and see that's the other thing i was gonna say it's like oh i've done this before you know watch this as i have something i learned and then he does it my only thing with that is you would it would need to be a short scene because it's a little bit of a tangent and so also the t-rex is already dead oh (laughs) yes that makes a difference yes but anyway, I mean, they, they could have done something more interesting <laughs> like with that. Taking it out would have been better, like not having it at all. Yeah, it's actually. Just completely it's completely pointless. Yeah. It is pointless because they don't use it. I was like, they're going to use this, right? And they never do. That's true. Yeah, they and make so, a point of showing him, like, it keeps the big one away. They even, yeah, they even mention that specifically. It keeps the other one away. And then but they then it doesn't because it. the other one shows up and kills the T-Rex anyway. So they yeah. just invalidated that whole argument that he would bother It's him. true. And besides, the Spinosaurus is not scared of the T-Rex. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, clearly it didn't work because exactly. it's killed them. <laughs> anyway. I mean, the kid's, what, 12 or how no, old he is? I would say he's probably 14. 14, 13. yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. He obviously doesn't know what he's doing. And it looked more like lemonade than pee. He doesn't. He wouldn't need to be hydrated. <laughs> what? You gotta stay hydrated. It's key on a des- on a jungle island. Where would a tear? Like they didn't even show any water. Drinking pools of stagnant water. I don't know. Drinking the blood of his enemies. There's plenty, anyway. of, places, there's plenty of ways to stay hydrated. <laughs> anyway, so don't cheat. Don't give yourself convenient ways out. Like you don't want to know. And that's like, it's like big. I mean, readers like, are you serious? Like that, we want to know. It's as lame as a dream that's meaningless. Exactly. Yeah, the editing. And actually, uh, that, that actually, my two points are pretty much the same. You know, it does, it does something stupid. It doesn't, it sets the tone in a way that doesn't work. It's giving, it's like a crutch for an author. It's, it show it, it's not good tight editing. Sometimes taking stuff out that doesn't matter strengthens your story yes exactly sometimes you're like i did a lot of work on this scene i don't want to cut it because it's a lot of work yeah and like cut it, it. you can cut or it. or oh, i'm no. gonna say this right now a lot of the authors that put out books and i and i obviously you know what author doesn't want to be making several thousand to twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollars a month on their books but a lot of those books they're throwaway books you know because like i'll read them and i'm like that point that seems pointless that seems pointless but if they don't have it in the book's not long enough you know so it's just fluff to get to the to the word count goal that they have i feel like there's there's so many better ways to to add 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 substance to your books like i mean maybe not the quite most advisable way to do it is the way robert jordan did it which is describing the carpet for 20 minutes <laughs> I mean, but it does build tension where you're just like get on with the freaking story already and for me it was enough for me to room. put the book down and never pick it up again and that's I mean, when i gave same. them to it you. did work for me actually it did work <laughs> for me because i i mean i i do like lots of detail in books and so is that why you don't read my books anymore i mean it's also because i just in general don't read <laughs> I, I listen to audiobooks college yes <laughs> And I don't have my books in audio yet. Yeah, I, I yeah, selectively read or listen to epic fantasy. They just yeah. get too full of themselves. Yeah. yeah. And it, the editor doesn't have the strength to tell famous authors that this scene is stupid and to remove it. So yeah. a lot of times epic fantasy books are just big because they're supposed to be. So I feel like they feel like they're supposed to be 100 and 50,000 words. Going back to my point, authors, <laughs> authors, I know authors who write books that are not throwaways and who are very successful because people recommend them and they reread them and they buy them in different formats. And so I'm like, what's better to write two books a month and make, you know, five to $10,000 a month on them or to write books that readers will love? And I'm like, are you writing? Are you doing this as a career? Because the authors that write books really, really fast and they can't sustain it and their books aren't good in five to 10 years, they can't use those books 
to further their career, you know? It's a sugar high, basically. I mean, you always have to be... Always, 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 always. One of my author friends was like, if I don't release this often, my money drops. And Chris Fox, when he came to do book, by the way, if you're in my book, but if you're not in my book, but promotions and more group, go check it out because we did uh, chats with best-selling authors this previous January. Anyway, one of his point was don't write throwaway books. If you want to be able to have a backlist that sells, if you don't want your career to be based constantly on your newest book, you need to be writing books that readers want to reread. Yeah. If you can't sell your backlist, you never build money. Cause like they're only buying one book, not yeah. 10 books previously. But if somebody, they're a little bit every month, you know, they go down over time, obviously. But if it's even a little bit, you're making more money with 20 books than with one. Yeah. You know, they're always just making one book money. Anyway, well, that was a, a bit of a tangent, but I think that's good I advice, think, though. Yeah. No, I think it ties into the movie. The movie was poorly edited. There were some scenes that should have been removed. It would have yeah. made it stronger. And it was a shorter movie anyway. It was like only an hour and a half. So if they cut it, yeah, if they cut those movies, those scenes out, the movie would have been like an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> would have just been one lame action scene to the next and no Nothing's pulling to things together. Billy being able to Mac well or <laughs> <laughs> Eric getting pee from a T Rex. Uh, yeah, no, you got it. Yeah, like what Josh was saying, you've got to add plot, you've got to add stuff in, like character, you've got to add in things to make people want to actually keep. Even, keep going. even just switching perspective to another character can really build tension in a book. But but a lot of the a lot of books you don't have that option. You don't have that option. You know no, that's a very fantasy. fantasy yeah. But thrillers do that too. Thrillers have multiple point points of view. You know, even some urban fantasy will go back and forth between one and two. You know, but even in romance too. But epic fantasy, the what I think the rule of thumb is for each viewpoint, you need to expect to add be about fifteen to twenty thousand more words, just to make it so that they have a believable and plausible backstory and motivations, and make the readers actually care about them. Anyway, we need to tie up. Nolan's falling asleep on the couch over there. Like the movie made me fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> like Twi about it, Twilight with Rift Tracks. If you have not watched Twilight with Rift Tracks yet, you need to repent and go do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for this episode today. Do you guys have any final comments or remarks? Um, this was a throwaway movie, like a throwaway book. Um, it just was. I mean, it wasn't as well crafted as the first movie. But slightly better than the second movie. I did. I enjoyed it better than the second movie. And there are elements. I did not like the climax, obviously. By that point, I was so tired and bored that I didn't care. But the first half, I really enjoyed, you know, the little things that I pointed out. Agreed. It needed more development. Yeah. Five weeks wasn't enough time to create a satisfying movie. Oh, man. What they threw away could have been so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had potential. But it it was just, um, yeah, it felt, it feels rushed. Yeah. Agreed. Could have spent more time making those connections with the characters and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, so where can people find you guys? Four multimillionaires. And they're doing it wrong. Producers. Here we are telling them how to do their jobs. And they're like living in their mansions. (laughs) You can find me um, in your nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I'm going to say in your dreams. <laughs> well, no one has nightmares. Shout, shouting, Alan! Alan. <laughs> As our five-year-old says, I had a beautiful dream last night. 
So Josh, nightmares from Nolan and beautiful dreams from Josh. I guess. Anyway, and you can send me an email at Andrea at selfpublishstrong.com. And yeah, that's it for today. Talk to you guys all later. Bye. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> <laughs>